And one of the people that I absolutely love that has been part of that family that I met 20 years ago and went away and came back is Sophie. I remember her, Sophie Houghton. Come on, Sophie. Sophie Houghton, when I met Sophie, and she was part of church family when I got here. How, much, how tall were you then? About that tall? Yeah, about the same height. <laughs> about the same height. But it was like one of the joys because we moved down here. Me and Wendy got married in this building just here. And then what's the joy is like, Soph was part of that sort of emerging youth group when we first got there. And Wendy had the pleasure of leading some of it. And we got to go away with things like that New Day week that we had to take Soph away to New Day and then see her growing in God's. Hmm? had to take her. No, it's a tr- <laughs> you wanted to come, didn't you? Yeah, I was at the first one. Yeah, first ever New Day. We did, Clive was there, we got evacuated because it rained so hard that we were to sleep in a leisure centre for the night and all the tents flooded and then the kids, we had to bring everyone home after three days because it was so wet. But just to see Soph grow from someone who didn't know Jesus whatsoever, encounter Jesus as a teenager, grow up in faith, Marry Ben, raise her two little daughters, come back, move back to Eastbourne a couple of years ago to be back closer to family, but back really in a town that you love as well. Don't you love this place? I do. And then the real joy is now she heads up our kids' work here as a church, and then she goes into the primary school that she grew up in in Parklands now this year to go and take mentors into that school, Christian mentors to try and care and look after kids that she hopes one day will meet and encounter the same Jesus that completely transformed their life. Mm. And that's, that's joy, isn't it? That's it's good. a joy, yeah, it's a joy. So, um, so yeah, so Soph's going to be um, speaking. We're continuing this little series. It's called God of All Things. It's based on Andrew Wilson's book that you wrote a couple of years ago. We got a few copies of those into the foyer. They're cheaper than you can find on Amazon. So if you want to go into the foyer and beat Amazon prices, Monica's done an amazing job in getting some. But this book will bless your socks off. Why don't we put our hands together and give a massive welcome to Sophie Houghton Lee. Well, good morning. Good morning. As Ollie said, I'm the, I lead the kids' work here. So normally I'm next door being slightly sillier than I'm going to be with you guys today. But I might be a little bit silly for you because I know you love it, really. Um, so as Ollie said, we're going through this summer, we're going through this um, series called God of All Things. Based on Andrew's book, we've plucked a few chapters out and we're focusing on some things of God. And what we're doing this summer is we are exploring the things of God so that we can encounter the God of things. Yeah, and he is the creator of all things, and these things are signposts to our creator. Yeah? So we're going to explore these things because one day these signposts will stop pointing and they will start praising. Yeah? Amen? Amen. I don't know if you've um, been here when I've said stuff on stage before, but I, I like a bit of audience interaction. Okay, so I'm going to be doing a bit of yeah, yeah. And then I'm expecting you to go, yeah, amen, amen, okay? Yeah, yeah, yes, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Um, So cool, cool. So the thing that we're exploring today is a city, a city. And you might be sitting here thinking that's a bit irrelevant, actually, because we're sitting in Eastbourne, a lovely seaside town, couldn't be further from a city. But actually, as Christians, the city is really, really important because I've discovered that the city is an integral character in the Bible and we see the city appear the whole way through. So 
We're going to go on a journey together this morning. We're going to start right at the very beginning of creation in the Garden of Eden in Genesis. And we're going to see what God does with cities all the way through to Revelation. Okay? And I'm going to try and do that in half an hour. Yeah? What do you reckon? I'm going to try. It might be a bit longer. So, But you're comfy. You've got all day, haven't you? Cool. Cool. Right. So, the garden. We started in a garden in Genesis. God's ideal location for mankind in the beginning was in a garden. Yeah, yeah, it was in a garden. Yeah, thank you. That's what we want, that's what we want. It was in a garden. It was in his presence. Yeah, it was in nature. It was with each other. And he said to work it and keep the garden. Now, if you've got a garden and you work and keep a garden, you'll know that the natural thing that happens is that it grows. Yeah, this summer I've started a vegetable patch. And I'm working and keeping that vegetable patch. And honestly, I've got no idea what I'm doing. But Sally has been graciously coaching me through it. And I've grown a courgette. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I've grown a courgette. And we've got three cherry tomatoes. And those three tomatoes, I was like, these are amazing. I've grown these. I'm... More, I was more excited when I, I birthed my children, but growing a cherry tomato, there's nothing like it. And I was really pleased when my daughter sat on it. Um, <laughs> so, but I had two others, so it's fine. But I can see why God wants us in a garden. I can see why he wants us to work and keep a garden and grow stuff. It's peaceful. It's, life, it's life-giving. It restores your soul in some way, being in nature and being in life. And so I can, I can see why his plan in the beginning may have been for us as mankind to multiply mankind and grow the garden so it covers the whole earth. And I wonder if that was his intention all along. But we don't know. We don't know because what happened is Adam and Eve broke the one rule that God gave him. The serpent tempted them. And they ate from the tree that God had said not to. And as a result, they were cast out of the garden and out of God's presence. Now, Adam and Eve, outside of the garden, they had two kids. They had Cain and Abel. Now, and Cain and Abel, when they grew up, they brought their offerings to God. And Cain brought vegetables and fruit. Lovely. Abel brought the firstborn of his flock of sheep. And God showed favour on Abel, but he didn't show favour on Cain. And God says to Cain, well, why are you angry? And Cain's really angry. He's really jealous. And he's like, why are you angry? And he warns him to be careful with his anger. And what he says, he says, be careful with your anger. He says, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. But Cain doesn't rule over it. Cain goes into the field and he kills his brother, Abel. And God asks him, what have you done? So there's just a couple of things I want to point out about sin here that I think is really, really important. You know, it is crouching at our doors. It desires to have us. It wants what is contrary to what God wants for us. It's crouching at the door. Now, when I was a kid, my uncle moved to Kenya. And over the years, I've had an amazing opportunities to go out and visit him and go on safari. And it's amazing. And one time we were on safari in the Masai Mara and we, were, we spotted some cheetahs, these three cheetahs. And they were crouching in the grass. And there's a picture. They're, cr- 
I wasn't going to show this because I'm not sure it's the right one. But Ben is, ben is certain it's the right one. There are three cheetahs in this photo. They're crouched down, ready to pounce, eyes locked on to this rabbit that was under our truck. They're ready to pounce. Yeah, and that's what sin can be like. We don't see it coming. The devil doesn't want us to know that it's coming. He wants to take us out. So we need to be really, really vigilant, really, really careful. I can send that round if you want to do a little bit of a puzzle later, see if you can spot the cheetahs. But we need to be really, really vigilant. The other thing about cheetahs is that when they're small, they're really cute and fluffy. And you, I think it's illegal, but you could probably keep them as a pet because they're kind of harmless. And I did get sucked into a bit of a rabbit hole at looking at pictures of baby cheetahs because they're adorable, aren't they? Look at them. But what, if you had a baby cheetah as a pet, what you'd need to do is you'd need to feed it. And then what happens is that it grows. And what does a big cheetah do? It's going to kill you. It's going to kill you. And so we need to be really vigilant of the little things as well, the little sins, the little things that creep in. Oh, that's all right, I'll just do that. It's just a little thing. Because then it will grow and it will take over your life. Okay, so we need to be vigilant and we need to be vigilant of the little sins. The other thing that I really like about reading some of this is God's dialogue with Adam and Eve and with Cain. Yeah, he says, what have you done? Like, he doesn't already know? He knows, doesn't he? He knows it all. It reminds me of when Jesus is with the woman at the well and says to her, where's your husband? Even though he already knew she'd had five husbands. And what I think God is doing here is he's provoking dialogue with us. Yeah, he wants a relationship. He wants a conversation. The king of creation wants a conversation with you and with you and with you. He wants a conversation and a relationship. Whew. That's pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> what I think he's also highlighting here is the power of confessing your sin out loud to God, specifically. Yeah? Out loud, not in your head, which is, all of these things are things that I do. In your head, <laughs> he wants you to say it out loud. He wants you to be specific, not generalise it in case your phone is listening to you or you've accidentally called someone and then you're praying all your worst sins. <laughs> you're like, oh no! It's a very real fear of mine. Um, but saying it out loud and to God, not to a person, although that can be really, really helpful to God, because then what happens is that God lavishes his forgiveness on you and pours out grace on you, and that breaks the power of that sin. Yes, hallelujah, hallelujah, amen. Right, so we're gonna get back to cities, but that's really important, okay? So remember all of that. So Cain, he killed his brother. He killed his brother. But the God, who is the God of justice, has to punish him. Yeah, and he says, the ground's not going to grow anything for you anymore. And you're going to be a wanderer of the earth forever. And Cain says, this punishment is more than I can bear. I just can't bear it. I'm going to wander around forever. And I'm not going to be able to grow anything. And I'm going to be hidden from your face. And someone's just going to come and kill me. And our God of justice is also a God of mercy. Yeah? And God says, no, not so. I'm going to put a mark on you so that if anyone comes to attack you, they'll know that I will take vengeance on them sevenfold. Yeah? So Cain leaves God's presence and he has a baby with his wife and then he builds a city. 
Okay, so he builds the first ever city that we see in the Bible. Now, it's really helpful here to just talk about what the uh, city would be defined as in the ancient world, okay? What the biblical writers would have been thinking about when they used the word city. And that's a group of homes surrounded by a wall for protection, yeah? To keep all the people that are trying to kill you, to keep them out, yeah? And then it later becomes this hub of life, of religion and culture and economy flowing out of it, much like our cities today. Yeah, so we're talking about a wall and a hub situation when we're talking about cities here. So even though Cain, even though God told Cain, I will protect you, Cain goes into this like primal fight or flight mode. Yeah, it's in our very core as humans. When there's a threat to our lives, we go into this primal mode of fight or flight and what Cain does is he takes matters into his own hands, he fights, he puts up his own wall to protect himself. Yeah, to protect himself. So what I wanna ask you this morning is what do you do? What do you do when those moments come along? Those moments that it might be a threat to your actual life, it might be a threat to your way of life, to your comfort, to your happiness, to something you really care about. What do you do when those fight or flight moments come along? Do you take flight and run to God, our refuge and protection, our strong tower, our everything we need in all situations? Do you run to him or do you fight? Do you build your own wall, your own city and retreat into this bubble, this city of protection? I know what I do, what I'm trying to do and I think you know what you do. And this might look like a number of things. It might be just trying to take control and plan, 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 so that you're taking control. This isn't gonna happen to me because I've planned it all out. Or it might be retreating into your phone, into this world, so you don't have to worry about this world out here. Because this world, no, if I can't hear it, if I can't focus on it, then it's all gonna be okay because I got my world in here, my city. Yeah, or it might be games on your iPad or your PlayStation. It might, be, it might be sex or pornography or masturbation. It might be something totally righteous like reading or exercise or advancing your career. It might be all of these things that I've said. It might be none of these things, but I feel like the Holy Spirit is probably dropping the things into your mind now of what those things are that you do when those moments come along the thing that you do to get yourself through. Now, I'd love to tell you that running to God every time, I could just pray for it now and we'll all just do it. I'd love to tell you that. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, that could happen. But also by the power of his Holy Spirit, he works in us. It's a journey, we're in training. It says in 2 Corinthians that we are being renewed day by day. Yeah, it's a journey. We're a work in progress. I'm happy to stand here and say, I am a work in progress, guys. (laughs) A work in progress. But what I want to do is is my default to be to run to God in those moments. But what I need to do is press in to the Holy Spirit and to retrain my mind so that I do run to him in everything. So that that becomes my default. And that takes time and it takes effort. And it's hard work. Sometimes it feels easier just to go, I'm just going to look at my phone, actually. 
but it takes effort. So I've just got a few practical things that I think we can do. One is pray. (laughs) Spend time in his presence. This is something I've been trying to train myself to do over the last couple of months. I go and sit on the beach on a Thursday morning or Friday morning and I sit with a coffee. And the first time I did it, it was like two minutes before I stopped, like I was distracted by my phone and the litter picker and the seagull. And, you know, but I have to tra- you have to train yourself to spend time in his presence so that he can prove to you that he can be your protection and your strength. Press in, don't withdraw. Yeah, come to church. I'd like everyone now, if you're able to, just to stand up. Excellent. And now I'm going to ask you to do something so physically challenging. Yeah. No, that's Ollie's, what is it? Bible aerobics. That's another time. We're not doing that, guys. What I want you to do is this. That was a bit tricky, wasn't it? The thing is, when we make a physical action towards God, it's really, really powerful. Yeah? And doing this, when you don't feel like it, that's what, I love that song we sang earlier. <laughs> Praising, singing, when we don't feel like it. Coming to church, surrounding yourself with people who love Jesus, when you don't feel like it, is really powerful. Because as you take one step, towards him, he rushes in to embrace you. Yeah? Yeah, amen? Amen. 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 Right, now what I want you to do is reach up really high, as high as you can. Yeah, and now I want you to touch your toes if you can. (laughs) And now you can sit back down, you can sit back down. You can sit back down, it's right, it's right. Kids are a lot more mobile. (laughs) It's good for you, it's good for you. Right, so cities, cities. So the next city we read about in the Bible is Babylon, who build a tower, the Tower of Babel, to make a name for themselves. And they become the biggest, baddest city in the Bible story. And then we read about Nineveh, who are just awful. They're terrible. And then Sodom and Gomorrah. Bad news, guys. It's not great there either. You don't have to dig too far into the Old Testament to read that cities are bad news. The wall of protection becomes this wall of greed and violence and self-gratification. Something that Cain built to protect himself as a result of human sin has become this engine room, this breeding ground for sin and for violence. So at this point in the story of cities, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, God, cities don't sound great, actually. I think, um, let's be garden people. Let's be garden people. That's the garden sounded great. Let's be garden people. Yeah, get, get rid of these cities. But God says, no, I'm going to take the city and I'm going to make it good. Yeah. And this is where we see the introduction of Jerusalem, the holy city that God's people had been waiting for. We see David bring the throne of God's presence into the city and it becomes this image of this holy garden-like city with protection and refuge and peace and abundance for all. And this is what they'd been waiting for. The tabernacle, which was the throne of God's presence, which would be this one here, the square. They had so many similarities to the garden. So many, if you read about it, it's fascinating. And it would have been decorated like a garden. The people of God were carrying with them in the wilderness something of what they had lost in Eden. 
And they were hoping that Jerusalem would be just that. So was it that? Had they made it? No, they hadn't. (laughs) Because no city built with human hands could really put the full glory of God on display. Because King David didn't rule over the monster of sin that was crouching at his door. And king after king, they let the monster into the city walls. And this holy garden-like city becomes a den of robbers full of greed and violence and oppression and corruption, just like all the others. And then Babylon, who've become an even bigger, badder monster at this point, come along and they destroy them. Done. (laughs) So they're like, what is next? That's what we were looking forward to. What's next? Let me tell you. It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. Now after Jerusalem was destroyed, we read about Ezra and Nehemiah trying to rebuild a physical city, but Jesus didn't come to build a physical thing. Now in Jesus' day, Jerusalem was ruled by a a violent King Herod. And when Jesus began um, sharing that God's heavenly city was about to arrive here on earth. He didn't go into the city walls. He didn't go to Jerusalem or its leaders. He didn't go to Herod. He went to the hills and towns outside of the city wall and he went to the poor and the unimportant people and he told them, you are the city. He said, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And he taught them the ethic of God's city, which was the opposite to the mindset of Cain's city. Yeah, he taught them, instead of protecting life and keeping peace through the threat of violence and death, to keep the peace through, to create peace by sharing generously with your enemies, with love and forgiveness, even if it costs you. He says, if someone hits you on the cheek, give them the other one. Now, the king was scared. So the city, Jerusalem, did what it always had done. It tried to keep the peace through the threat of death. But when Jesus was on trial, he said that he was about to be enthroned as king of God's heavenly city after being killed outside of the city with the rubbish. That doesn't sound to me like someone that's about to become king. You can't become king by letting your enemies kill you. Can you? Well, let me tell you, you can if you are stronger than death. And Jesus is stronger than death. Yes, amen, amen. And this was the only way to transform the mindset of Cain city and of Babylon, of man city, to overcome the fear of death by trusting in the power of God's eternal life that raises Jesus from the dead. And this is the power that streams out from Jesus into the world today. The power that is in us as followers of him. And because of him, we can get right up close to God. We can be with him and we can go to him for his for our refuge and for protection, not to these physical city walls or whatever walls we put up to protect ourselves. In Psalm 46, it says, God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. It says, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy place where the Most High dwells, God is within her. She will not fail. If the earth melts in on itself, let's just picture that. 
If the earth melts in on itself, he is still king. If we experience this cosmological collapse, we still have a refuge in him. Now the city of God isn't like earthly cities where you have a piece of land or some buildings that need a king. God is king by his very rule and reign. He was king first and the kingdom, the city, follows. If the whole earth fades away, he is still king. In the middle of the night, when it's darkest and it's hardest and you just don't see that the morning is going to come, he is still king. In a cancer diagnosis, in a prison cell, in grief, he is still king. In chronic pain, and fatigue, in betrayal, in loss, in depression and anxiety, in redundancy, when your whole life seems to be spinning and the whole world, your whole world feels like it's collapsing in on itself, he is still king. He is still our refuge. He is still our protection and he is still our strength. And you know what, guys? He is the highest possible king. He's the only one that doesn't just have the title Lord. His very name is Lord. And there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The river, the life giver, the sustainer. God is within her, the city, in us. She will not fail. So, Cain City is about self-preservation and fear, fear of death. But as a follower of Jesus, it's a life of dependence and humility, living without this fear of death. And therefore being able to be conquerors, to be confident and bold. We are the city, God is within us, she will not fail. Sin has been defeated on the cross. Yeah, it is still crouching at the door. But the difference now is that it has no power over you. Where Cain couldn't rule over it, we already do because Jesus has defeated its power on our behalf. Now I've had times when I'm standing here and I'm saying, the curse of sin has lost its grip on me. I won't sing the whole song. Sorry, Sonny. <laughs> but I'm standing here singing, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. And I think, oh, that's not how I feel. I feel like sin has this grip on me. But the truth is that it doesn't have a grip on you. The truth is it doesn't have a power over you. The truth is that you have the power to rule over it now because the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the power that lives in each and every one of us. Psalm 46, God is within her. God is within her. She will not fail. We live by a different law now. If I try and fly off this stage, I won't be able to do it. And I can tell you that because I've fallen over twice this week. Yeah, what would happen is I would embarrass myself because that's also happened twice this week because I live under a law of gravity. But if I get into an aeroplane, I can fly because then I'm under a different law, a law of physics. 
And that's what it's like to be in the world, but not of the world. We are here, but without a fear of death. We are physically here, but our minds are on the things that are above and the things that are to come. So what is it that is to come? In Revelation, it describes this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone, and I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, right the way through the Bible, we see cities referred to in the feminine as sisters and daughters. God is within her, she will not fail. And then here, what we see is a city redeemed, adorned like a bride. We built, we built our own thing and we messed it up. And God doesn't just erase it. He heals it and he makes it incredible. It goes on to say, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Just pause for a sec. Right. Now, Revelation goes on to describe this beautiful fusion of garden and city with walls but made of precious stones and gates made of pearls that are always open. There's a tree of life whose leaves heal the nations and there's a mighty river, crystal clear, that flows through it. And it's so thoroughly indwelt by the living God that it doesn't need a temple, it is a temple. That's what's to come, that's what's to come. Now, Revelation goes on to describe how an angel shows John this glorious city descending from heaven. And he has, oh, I forgot my ruler. Oh, you all know what a ruler looks like, don't you? Yeah, cool. Uh, and measures it with a golden measuring rod, a golden ruler. And when he measured it, he finds that it's this humongous cube that's 1,400 miles wide height depth. That's half the size of the United States and 280 times the height of Mount Everest. It's pretty big. And I think it would have taken ages to measure that with a 30 centimetre ruler. <laughs> but it's okay, because we've got eternity. Now, I lead the kids' work here. That's one of the hats that I wear. And another hat is that I'm a quantity surveyor. And when I tell people that I'm a quantity surveyor, they go, oh, okay, yeah, 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 okay. And I go, do you know what that is? And they go, no, 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 I don't, no, no. So, uh, so for those who don't know, as a quantity surveyor, I'm basically in charge of all the money to do with a construction project. And to do that well, I need to measure stuff. And I don't just need to measure stuff, I need to measure all of it. I need to know every last thing that is going to go into that building that has a cost to it so I can get to grips with the cost of the whole project. Because money is finite, guys. Yeah, so that's what I do. I go around with my ruler, I measure drawings with my ruler and count things up. So all done on screen as well now. And I go around a construction site with a very fetching hard hat and a high-vis jacket. Um, and I measure stuff that's on site so the contractor can get paid the right amount of money. 
So when John talks in this chapter about all these measurements, I'm like, oh yeah, go on. It gets my attention. And this golden ruler, I'm like, where am I going to get a golden ruler? But since doing this job, it's always fascinated me that I do a job that's all about measurement, yet I worship an immeasurable God. The irony, the motto for the RICS, which is the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors, is est modus in rebus, which means there is measure in all things. And when I've heard that over the years, I've always kind of quietly and probably quite smugly gone, except for God, (laughs) except for God. So I love this detail. I love that there's measurements in the Bible. And this isn't the only place we see measurements in the Bible. God cares about the measurement and the detail. So, so we've messed up. We've been saved by Jesus. We can live, our eyes fixed on, we live with our eyes fixed on eternity. So what is it that we do now? What is it that we do now? Do we just endure this life? Sit and wait? Wait for a better day? No. Because the Bible says that Jesus came to give us life and life to the full. In the Psalms it says, we'll see the goodness of God in the land of the living. It says in Psalm 46 that he is an ever-present help in times of need. And because of Jesus, we access all of that. Now there's a quote which I love. Um, I lived in London for about 15 years. And um, I love London, I love the city. Um, But in lockdown, it was different. (laughs) And that's why we ended up moving back here because I was like, this London that I love, it's not London anymore. It's different, it's weird. And there's this quote that says, what is the city but for the people? So in London, and I'm sure you saw photos like this of cities all around the world that would normally be teeming with life and millions of people just completely lifeless, like this. And I notice in the description in Revelation of the heavenly city that no buildings are described. And I'm scratching my head thinking, why is that? Why is that? And I think it's because we are the buildings. Jesus didn't come to build bricks and mortar. He came to build his church, his people. He came to build us. It's not this. It's not these bricks. It's not this stage. It's the person next to you. Yeah, He came to build his people so that we can live with him in the heavenly city. So what we do while we wait is we partner with him to build together. We are the buildings and we get to be the builders as well. That's what he wants us to do. Now, a few weeks ago, I was having a bit of a tricky evening, a bit of a battle in my head. And I was like, oh, and I sent a friend of mine a message and I said, I just think I've got too many demons to build the kingdom of God. And she's a good friend, so she told me that that was ridiculous, and it was a lie. And that's why you need to surround yourself with people who love Jesus, just FYI. Um, But then God spoke to me about foundations, and in Revelation, he talks about the foundations of the city walls. Did you know that there are different types of foundations based on the building, based on what the building is going to be used for? And God knows about your foundations based on what he is going to use you for. The city in Revelation has 12 foundations and each foundation has a different jewel on it. And when I read that, I thought, what is the point of having a jewel on a foundation? Because foundations are under the ground. These are the 12 jewels. I'm not going to read them out because I don't think I can pronounce them. Um, But I thought, what a waste. What a waste. Why would you put jewels under the ground? 
But actually we're told in the city of God that nothing goes to waste, that everything is thought out. Everything, he uses everything for his good purposes. He is the architect of your foundations and he redeems them all. There's stuff in my past that I regret doing or I wish had never happened to me or I wish had happened to me. All these things that often I circle back to and discount myself as being useful to God. I'm sure you each have the same sort of things that you come back to every time. I find myself sometimes wondering what myself, my life would be like if the trauma of my past wasn't the thing that followed me around. But then this regret is just me trying to do mentally what Christ has done actually in real life. It says in Psalm 103, Psalm 103, sorry, I think my mum's watching. <laughs> uh, Praise the Lord, my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all of your sins and heals all of your diseases and who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. He sees it all, all of your foundations, no matter how crumbling or not, he sees it all, he uses it all based on how he's gonna use you and he puts a jewel on them. Even if that stuff is so buried beneath the ground that no one will ever know about it, but you and God, he still heals it and redeems it and makes it whole and uses it. He is an immeasurable God, yeah, but it doesn't mean what he does isn't measured. He uses it all. So we all sit here in this room with very different stories and very different foundations, but we have the same cornerstone in Jesus. We all come with different stories, different hurts, different brokenness. We all come to the same cornerstone and then we build together and build our lives on that cornerstone. And what we're building, it might look different, but it's for the same purpose. It's for salvation and for redemption and for his glory so that we can stand side by side one day worshiping him together forever. Now I've worked on a lot of great construction projects. And one of the reasons I use those photos of London is because there's buildings in there that I've worked on. And I wanted to show you all that I've done that. Uh, <laughs> I've worked on Buckingham Palace and Wimbledon and Selfridges and Harrods and some of the tallest buildings in the city and huge hotels and offices and theatres and shopping centres and stadiums and huge housing developments. And I take pride when I go to London, and I show my kids, I'm like, mummy built that. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not what needs a clap. That's not what needs a clap. You know, the buildings that we build with him, these buildings that I've helped build, they'll outlive me. One day they'll come crumbling down and just return to dust. But the buildings that we build with him for his glory, they're gonna last an eternity. That's why I love doing kids work. Because <laughs> what we're saying to them, we're giving them the words of life. We're having an eternal significance on their lives. That's what we do when we build the church, when we build his people. Those buildings will last an eternity. And that's the city. That's what it's going to look like. So we started with a garden in Genesis. God says he'll protect us, but we take things into our own hands and we think we know better. We put up these walls, build our own cities to protect ourselves. But Jesus comes to rebuild. 
He comes to make a way for us, for his people, to live in God's presence for eternity so that we can run to him every single time for our protection. Every single time. And he redeems all of our foundations, all of our past. He measures it all out so that nothing in your life goes to waste. And then he partners with us to build his people to live with him for an eternity in this garden-like city called New Jerusalem with walls and gates and trees and rivers and God and people with no more death and no more pain, no more crying, no more sorrow. So what does a city show us of our creator? It shows us that he is a God of mercy and a God of redemption. That he's not a God who just erases what's broken. He heals it and he makes it incredible. He makes it incredible. So I just, can the band come back up? There you go, that's you. <laughs> Ollie's coming, we'll be fine. Yeah, come on, Sarah. Now, as I said earlier, it's really powerful to make a physical step towards God, to do something physical. So I'm gonna encourage you to do that now as we respond. Because when you take that step of faith, he rushes in towards you, like I said earlier. And he's, he's not like an angry parent waiting at the door, sees you come in and is like, come on then. And you walk in, head held in shame, waiting to be told off. That's not, that's not the God that we worship. The God that we worship sees you come in and he runs down the path towards you and he embraces you and he carries you in and welcomes you home. Amen? That's the God that we worship. That's the God that we worship. So we're gonna sing in a second. And what I'd like you to do is stand. Should we all stand up now? Let's all stand up. So if you, when I was talking about walls, if you had walls pop into your head that you know you need to just give to God, you need to just say, okay, God, these aren't the walls that I wanna be putting up. I wanna be running to you every single time. I just encourage you to take that step, open your hands to him. Let him do a work in you. Let him prove to you that he is worthy of your time and your efforts so that he can protect you because he loves you. That's why he's doing it, because he loves you. If you're in a season of real struggle and you're one of those people that, as I was saying, in the middle of the night, you're struggling to see that he's king because you've got stuff going on and it's really hard. Come to him now. Yeah, just, I don't know what I'm doing, God. <laughs> I don't feel like doing this, but I know that I want to. So here's my hands. This is all I've got. This is all I've got. <laughs> Come to me, rush to me, embrace me. And the other thing you can do is just press in to the church, to his people. We're not designed to do this on our own. We're designed to do this together as family. In the garden, it was, it was Adam and Eve. It was working together. Yeah, we can't be a city if we're all individual buildings spread out, can we? So press in, press into church. Speak to the person next to you. If anyone's on the ministry team, if you've got your lanyards, if you want to come out here, if you're brave enough to come and get some prayer, I would really encourage you to do so. But also you can go into the Sussex at the end, into the Connect Lounge, 
You can talk to people there. You can talk to people in your life group. You know, we want to pray with you and support you spiritually. We also want to support you practically and just to help you. So let us embrace you as a church, as God's people. Because that's what we're that's what we're building. That's what we're building. Now the last thing I'm gonna say is if you are looking at your foundations and you're thinking, ah, they're too crumbly. God can't do anything with those. They're not ruins. You can't build a city from ruins unless you're God. <laughs> you build, you see ruins, but he sees foundations and he's gonna build his kingdom on it, his city. So bring your foundations to him. You might also be sitting here thinking, my foundations aren't that crumbly. I'd like something dramatic to happen in my life so that God can do something. You might have been sitting in this room since you were four years old and trusted Jesus faithfully for your entire lives and you just struggle to value what he's doing in you. Bring your foundations to him too and ask him what he is gonna use you for because he is gonna use all of us and all of our foundations. And if you don't know Jesus today, and you're like, well, this sounds pretty good actually. I want some of this. Then step towards him this morning and say, yeah, you can be Lord of my life. I'm gonna let you protect me. I'm gonna let you work on my foundations and use me. So if that's you, we're gonna sing. And it would be really great if you could come up to the front and talk to one of us on the front row. And we'd pray with you and welcome you with open arms to his people and his city. Amen? Amen. Cool, let's sing. <laughs>